Good afternoon and welcome to the Jason Rand Show on AM 770 KTTH and 94.5 FM for our friends on the greater east side. Here's how bad crime is in Seattle, particularly retail crime. There are people who are surprised that Target is still in business. Why? Oh, the reason is what's trending. What's trending? Crime. There are folks in Seattle who cannot believe it, given everything that's been happening. To retail businesses, particularly in the downtown core, they cannot believe that Target is still up and running, although we should say barely. There's a story over at Cairo 7 TV about the latest effort to stop all of the shoplifting and our local Target, the one in Pike Place Market, although the three Seattle Targets are all doing the very same thing, and they made this decision uh, a bit ago – They finally now locked up more of the items in the shop. So now it looks like a Target or a drugstore in San Francisco where it's behind lock and key. We know that shoplifting is a huge issue. And in particular, Targets have been hit pretty hard. In fact, the three Targets are in the top 10 list of stores that SPD has had to respond to for shoplifting within the last year. And nothing really has changed. And I I went down for a Fox News hit, Fox and Friends uh, segment on this topic. Uh, I want to say a little bit maybe before the new year, maybe in November of last year. And I'm not kidding you when I say I was there for maybe less than two minutes. And I had already seen a shoplifting case. And I was talking to some people who work in law enforcement, and they say, yeah, if you just stand there for just a few minutes, you're going to see it. You're going to see it happen over and over and over again. And so now they're finally doing something at great cost to them. This is a company that doesn't want to just leave. They want to stay here. They want to have a thriving business despite the circumstances. But it's been a struggle. And... A ton of theft is common, like this gentleman speaking to Cairo 7 TV says. Everything's not locked up, you know. People always find something to take. Paper towels and toilet paper, the big packages of them. Now, you oftentimes not just see that being stolen. I Weirdly, when I was there, I saw one dude stealing a whole bunch of creamer. Well, like, dude, what are you doing? I guess it's calories if that's what you need. But... Uh, You know, you see people stealing these things and then they're selling them on street corners. And the paper towel one, I don't understand. These are mostly homeless people who are stealing. It's not only homeless because we have retail theft rings that are responsible for a lot of this. But there's people all across, usually 3rd or 4th Avenue in downtown Seattle. And they're selling either paper towels, toilet paper. A lot of times they're selling detergent. Again, I Not entirely sure I understand how that is used out on the streets, but they're doing this over and over and over again. And they know that they can get away with it because there are either not enough officers to quickly show up and make an arrest. They know that the policy of Target is hands off. You're not going you might get confronted, but you're not going to be touched. They're not going to like hold you down until cops get there. And then there's this belief that you're not going to be prosecuted. Now, if it gets to the attention of Seattle City Attorney Ann Davison, she almost certainly will move forward. But still, it's too slow. And it's not her fault. It's not her office's fault because 
They're inundated. We have these cases happening over and over and over again, and it's not fair, which is a point that Mark Johnson with the Washington Retail Association made. He says, look, they shouldn't have to lock up their their goods. It's not a good experience for the consumer, and it's not a good experience for the staff member who's constantly being called over to open something so you can get your deodorant or your razors. It's sad that uh, they have to take such extreme measures in order to protect the product, uh, it inconveniences, and they know this, it inconveniences the, the, the law-abiding customers. Yep. Uh, it takes more staffing. It costs more money. And I do wonder how this is going to impact people the next time. Let's say you're going to the Target and you see this is the re- new reality where you have to call someone over to get your toothpaste. And it's funny because on the Cairo 7 TV, they have a, a, a photo showing all of the deodorant that's behind lock and key, the, the Tide power pods, whatever those things are called, the toothpaste. It's it's absurd. So let's say you're going down there and the first time, well, you're already there, so you're going to sit through the hassle. The hassle of trying to find someone who's available to open up for you. Then the next row, you the next... Uh, Aisle you go down, you got to do the exact same thing over and over and over again, while, by the way, competing against another customer or four or five or six who are basically doing the same thing. It's not like Target has tens of dozens of people working the floors. So you do it the first time, and you have an awful experience, as anyone who would have to go through this would have. Do you go back to that Target, or do you pick somewhere else to go? You likely go somewhere else. Unless you're in a very specific circumstance in which you basically have the only option is to go to one of these targets. The problem is at some point you're going to go to another shop and they're going to do exactly the same thing because this, the, the problems facing Target are the problems facing the Rite Aid or the Bartel. Do we still have any of those or have they all closed down now? That's the reality. It is so much more lucrative and safe to steal from retailers and then resell it to uh, monetize your criminal activities than it is to rob from a bank. He's 100% correct. But because we know that, because we know exactly what's going on, we know why this is happening, we know what policies are to blame, we know which politicians are to blame for implementing those policies or laws, we know how to fix it. We just have to be willing to actually do the work and fix it. Let's find out what else is trending. What's trending in Everett? More crime happening with juveniles. An unfortunate reality as we deal with this juvenile crime surge. And it's usually a story of a teenager stealing something or trying to steal something or shooting something or a teenager the victim of one of those crimes. Many of the times it is a crime that is inspired by gangs. Not always, but many times. Kind of depends on the city that we're talking about. But we had what happened this morning near a bus stop in Everett. A kid who goes to Kamiak High School was taken to the hospital after being shot. Now, we don't have too many details as to precisely what happened. But we've got enough to get a general sense of, yeah, this is another potential drive-by. When police arrived, they found a juvenile in their teens had been shot multiple times. Uh, medics arrived pretty quickly and transported the victim to the hospital. So that seems like 
a, a drive-by. It seems like a targeted shooting. That's what it seems like. Ever Police Department spokesperson Aura Hamill, speaking with Como TV, said they do have a lead. We have information of a black sedan-type vehicle with gray wheels as being the suspect vehicle. We don't have any individualized information for the suspect or suspect. Now, we don't know any details beyond what I told you about the victim. And I, they, they won't give an age or a gender. My assumption it's a male because that's just traditionally what's been the case. And my assumption is you're talking about anywhere. But here's the sad part, actually. I shouldn't make an assumption on the age because it could be anywhere, whatever high school age is, 13, 13 to 18 or 14 to 18. That's the reality. And frankly, had you just told me that they came from a nearby school, my response could have been as young as 11 because that's what we're seeing. That's the kind of crime that we're seeing. And when it's not happening in Everett, it's happening in Tacoma. When it's not happening in Pierce County, it's happening in Snohomish County. So let's just stay in Snohomish County. We are talking about crime. We are talking about drive-by shootings. So let's just stay in Snohomish, where a man in his 30s ended up getting killed this morning in a drive-by shooting. It happened in, or excuse me, late last night, happened along a rural road in Snohomish. The sheriff's office said deputies responded to calls that there were gunshots. Deputies got there. They found the man dead in the middle of the road. Now, it happened less than a quarter mile north of Snohomish Regional Fire and Rescue Station 83. Como report said that uh, firefighters said it took crews less than a minute to get there on scene. Now, they tried to help. They tried to intervene. They tried to give this man CPR and save him, but he was pronounced dead at the scene. The man was apparently with his wife when he was shot. He apparently lives nearby. He was not in a vehicle when this occurred, according to the officials. Here's Tahomish County spokesperson, Sheriff spokesperson, Courtney O'Keefe, to uh, come up. Uh, you know, we can't say at this time, um, we do believe that this... Uh, incident uh, just occurred here. We're not aware of any other incidents occurring, um, but we don't know um, who the suspects are. We don't know who the suspects are. So yet again, we've got a point, we're at a point where they're going to continue to struggle in finding who's responsible. Meanwhile, criminals know that they can continue to get away with this. They know. Now, here's a witness talking to Como TV. We thought it was a hit and run, and then the lady was screaming. She said, no, it was a heat cut shot. That's how I found out, because I didn't look. I was on the phone, and um, everything was in my mind, and so it was crazy. Um, Crazy. Yeah, that's a good way to assess the situation. That's a good observation. It is crazy. Everything that is happening right now is crazy, and it is avoidable. And yet, how many people do anything about it at the state level where they have control? The local level, they're trying in Snohomish County. They are at least trying in Snohomish County. This is not King County. It's not Seattle. I think you have a great sheriff in Adam Fortney. He's running for re-election, by the way. So remember, anything can change. Make sure you're getting out and supporting him. 
But you've got a sheriff who actually cares, who's trying his best to get this under control, and he's doing it with limited resources, and he's doing it essentially while battling the state, the state legislature that's making his job impossible. Then on top of that, you've got Everett. I think they're doing a pretty damn good job. They're doing their best. Same thing. There is only so much they can do when a lot of these problems are happening because of what's going on at the state level, at the legislature. They're not there at the legislature, and it's a part-time legislature on top of that. And whenever any of these politicians take any kind of stance that is seen as pro-law enforcement or tough on crime, they're immediately dismissed by their representatives, by the people who are supposed to create policy while considering the perspectives of those in the communities that they live in. They're just not getting that kind of support. That is the reality. And that is a shame. Let's find out what else is trending. What's trending in the media? Elon Musk has said he's probably going to have to sue the Anti-Defamation League. It would be, of course, an ironic lawsuit given the title of the ADL, but it is a lawsuit meant to stop an organization that has gone far off the left deep end in order to destroy Twitter or X, formerly known as Twitter. My next guest has a really fantastic opinion piece in Newsweek. Ron Coleman is a litigation partner with the Dillon Law Group and a columnist over at Newsweek, and he joins me now. Welcome to the show. Why, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. ADL, there's no doubt, it used to be a very influential and important organization calling out actual anti-Semitism, but... When did you start to get the sense that it had become purely about left-wing politics? Well, I don't want to say purely. I think, <laughs> I think that there are uh, almost purely, you know, 99.4%. I'm not <laughs> sure. But it is it, the emphasis has moved far away from protecting the reputations and rights uh, of of. Jewish people, and it, it, yes, the ADL has become, as you say, uh, basically a, a attack squad for the Democratic Party. Um, this is something that I have been very acutely aware of for uh, well over 30 years, because my, my wife was actually formerly a member of the uh, ADL's legal department in New York. And even then, we saw that they were sort of running out of things to do. And she told me that they were getting into projects like a world of – they had an educational program, a world of difference. This is sort of the beginnings of, uh, a, you know, an adoption of the what, – what we called in those days a rainbow coalition. Uh, you know, ADL was going to be focusing on things like diversity and – Stuff that didn't necessarily work, not only did it not only focus on the Jewish community, in some respects, uh, a lot of that stuff, especially affirmative action, and, and in its, you know, certainly as it's come to be uh, practiced in, its, in, the, in the 21st century, a lot of those policies are actually pretty bad for Jewish people. Yeah. When you look at the ADL versus Twitter slash X slash Elon Musk, what are some examples do you think show them to stray from what they're supposed to do and be? Well, I mean, I, I think it's worth 
fast forwarding from my observations in the late 80s and, you know, the sort of creep towards where we are now to, to what's ha- what happened when Donald Trump was elected, before we get on to Elon Musk, ADL routinely made it its practice to attack Donald Trump politically on things that had absolutely nothing to do with the Jewish community, but rather joining in on these sort of generic and baseless claims about uh, hate and white national uh, white supremacism and nationalism and white nationalism. Um, these were the tip-off that there was no longer going to be any pretense that ADL considered itself a fair broker. And and, and indeed, uh, it became more and more apparent that when you consider that not only were those claims against Trump uh, unjustified, but that he was clearly the most philosemitic president of my lifetime. And certainly it seems very likely anyone in history, maybe George Washington is up there because he wrote that great letter to the congregants of, uh, of Newport, Rhode Island. But, you know, Donald Trump was not an anti-Semite and his policies were warmly appreciated by most of the Jewish community on Jewish ground, that the extent that American Jews tend to be liberals, uh, they didn't really have a Jewish objection to Donald Trump. They just had a political objection. Yeah, and I think that most people, certainly myself, I started to pay close attention to this significant shift around that time when they started to go after Trump like every other organization. It kind of feels like this this happened at all the same time that and a little bit different, I I guess, per group. But I I, the SPLC, uh, the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center, the NAACP, you you point this out in in your piece as well. They all started to just shift the ACLU into just being an arm of not even just the Democrat Party, but the progressive wing of the Democrat Party. Exactly. Well, you know, let's face it, there isn't really a moderate wing wing anymore. I mean, speaking of Jews in politics, Joe Lieberman couldn't even get uh, the the incumbent Democratic senator from Connecticut, you know, to what was it, 15, 20 years ago, couldn't get renominated by the Democratic Party because they had become already so relatively radicalized. Um, the party, there is no, you know, Democratic Party is a true Bolshevik style party with party discipline. There's no such thing as an enemy to the left. Uh, they're extremely effective for that reason. It, you know, it has, a, it, it does come with the risk of a certain brittleness and the capacity for major, major losses as labor has proved time and time again in the UK. But, yeah, there isn't really, you know, we're living in a world where it becomes acceptable to parlay with the likes of uh, Al Sharpton, who is not a friend of the Jewish community by any stretch of the, ima- of the imagination, mm-hmm. and where criticism of Democratic politicians, uh, you know, such as the squad, is off limits because they're our son of a bitch. And, you know, we... Mm-hmm. It's pretty clear that that's where things go. Now, Elon Musk 
presented a and continues to present a real challenge to this establishment because using something that no one had really counted on, which was a gigantic investment of personal wealth and prestige, he sort of leapfrogged over all the institutions and mechanisms that have been put in place to prevent any sort of pushback, any effective pushback on the growth of private censorship, uh, and in many cases, private slash government censorship on mm -hmm. social media. So as soon as that deal went through, the ADL started dropping bombs. No kidding. I have less than a minute left, but what comes next, do you think? I mean, I, I do think that an organization like ADL, generally speaking, should exist. There's obviously still anti-Semitism that should be called out. And in fairness to them, it's not like they completely ignore legitimate acts of anti-Semitism. I think they, they do a fair job, at least, of calling it out. What are the next steps for a group like ADL, assuming they're not going to change? What are the next steps for those of us who want to continue to call this stuff out? That's, well, I don't think it's going to be to count on the ADL to do it. Uh, I think I think you're right. They're not going away. And they're, they're also I really don't see them backing down. Right? Democrats and Democratic organizations, whether they are called that or not, don't back down. And, for example, you know, they will continue doing what they're doing. What's the next step? There'll probably have to be some kind of alternative uh, activism developed. I don't think it'll take the form of an organization because I think there's a lot of skepticism. And I think to some extent organizations like this can be counterproductive. And in the, in the culture now, there's a little, there's a lot of resistance to that. Yeah, there definitely is. Uh, again, we've been talking with Ron Coleman with the Dylan Law Group. You can check out his piece online right now at Newsweek. Really great stuff. I, I really appreciate you stopping oh, by. Thank you. Absolutely. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You're listening to The Jason Rancho. When we come back, we're going to dive into The Big Local. Living.com. Yelp, Tacoma, Bremerton, Bothell. This is the big local on the Jason Ranch Show. Redmond, Sumner, Kent. Stories about you, not about Seattle. Hey, look at the time. It's 4.30 on a weekday afternoon, and that means it's time for the big local. Brought to you by Alpine Specialty Services. This is the part of the show where we completely ignore stories coming out of Seattle. And instead, we spend all of our attention on the communities you live in and care about most. We start in Pierce County. If you've been listening to Brian Suits in the morning, which of course you should, you've been hearing him play to death the audio of a Pierce County Sheriff's deputy barking. And he has thus been called the barking deputy. Now, in the most recent story, he helped get four teens into custody after a car theft. And he pretended that he had canine units with him. The suspects, the teen suspects, couldn't see who was out there. And he did a fake bark. And then, bam, he was able to make an arrest. He spoke with Fox 13. The deputy's name is Jason Smith. And you'll hear it in the barking. He's pretty good at it. I guess I have a unique unique skill of barking like one of our canines and uh, don't really practice it. And it's not taught in the academy, but I use it on occasion. 
<laughs> he uses it on occasion. And the last time, obviously, it was hugely successful, and it ended up almost going viral because you have the Pierce County Sheriff's Office, I think, does a really good job on their social media game in putting out this video and audio and everything else. And he said, look, it was... In this case, it obviously came in handy, even though maybe it made him look a little foolish. You could hear the sticks and branches breaking down in the in the creek where they're at. And then I let it go and just started barking. <laughs> and then it worked. One by one, Fox 13 says the teens started walking out with their hands up, completely scared, only to then find out that they had just been had. There was no canine. And it was funny because his colleagues, Jason Smith's colleagues, were all like, what in God's name are you doing, man? You freak. But he's all like, hey, it's just another tool for me. If I can make my job easier and do that and um, keep everybody safe, that's the goal. Now, here is a let's be honest about this story. Here's a, a, a potential threat or a vulnerability to the strategy. If he does it a lot. And it gets a lot of news coverage. At some point, at least when you're dealing with Pierce County sheriffs, you might end up not believing it, which means you're going to have to pull the canines out at some point. Because everyone's like, oh, no, it's probably that Officer Smith I heard on the Jason Rand show. Because us teen criminals, we are podcast subscribers because we listen to podcasts. And that's the cool, hip way to listen to radio. And you might end up having to bring out the canines. So part of me doesn't want to bring too much attention to the story, even though I think it's fantastic. <laughs> oh, God. Meanwhile, out in Spokane, they are dedicating extra police patrols along a an area in downtown Spokane because it's just out of control. You've got homelessness, crime, drug use, and then all that comes with that, meaning People just not comfortable being around and people, frankly, being unsafe being there. And so they are adding some more boots to the ground because they just actually saw a man who was shot. I think it was on Wednesday night. And they're they're hoping that this will start to send a message that no, 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 no. You're not going to be able to do this here. We want a thriving downtown core. This isn't Seattle. We want to make sure that people feel comfortable. We want to make sure that businesses feel like they can set up shop here. We want to be a city that we're proud of. Steve Wool is a captain with the Spokane Police Department. He spoke with KXLY. Over the summer summer months, we saw an increase in population down there. Um, and then with that brings crime, both, both violent and drug-related. Uh, and then just uh, crimes of opportunities as well. Yeah, and by the way, a lot of that population are the homeless. So they've extended their budget for overtime, according to KXLY, and that meant they were able to bring in more officers from the downtown precinct for round-the-clock patrols. They will no longer be manned by downtown officers, but will instead be picked up by officers in other precincts to help sort of pick up and f- pick up the slack, but also just fill in the gaps problem that they're having in addition to the you know the general crime homelessness and drug use is is a problem that we all are very well aware of here in western washington which is even when you make an arrest it doesn't mean that that person's going to be booked they do not have a jail that can handle the amount of arrests that they're making they 
either hit capacity or almost hit capacity way too easily. And that's obviously a problem because that means either, number one, you sure, you can maybe make an arrest, but it doesn't matter because they're not going to be booked. So you end up just giving them a citation. And at some point, if you're not making arrests, well, people pick up on that and they take advantage of that and they say, hey, even if they were to catch me, I'm not going to go do any jail because they're not going to send me there. There's not enough room. There's a lot of things that we can arrest for, and we're really kind of creating a, a zero tolerance down in that area. But there's not there's things that we can't arrest and physically take them to jail for, unfortunately, just because we don't have that that jail capacity. So when you're in that position, you're essentially cho- you're essentially forced to choose what you're going to arrest for. So let's say you've got five crimes of all different variety. But you can't make arrests for all five of those crimes because you just don't have the room. So you're going to have to prioritize. Now, obviously, the most violent crime is going to be the most prioritized. The least violent crime will not be. Problem is, those least violent crimes, think about the break-ins and whatnot, or even just public drug use. That's what creates such a... Just frankly, an unsafe vibe in a neighborhood where you've got a whole bunch of broken glass all over the place because cars have been broken into. You don't feel comfortable. You don't feel safe. And you certainly don't want to leave your vehicle there when you've got a bunch of people who are smoking fentanyl or meth along the streets. Yeah, you don't want to hang out there. And while obviously all of us would say it's sensical to prioritize violent crime, assaults or, or you know, stabbings, murders and stuff... Uh, like, what about everything else? And there isn't really, if we're being totally upfront about this, there's not really a solution to that if you're not going to have a city or a county or a state that will take crime as seriously as it needs to. Now, I think as a city, Spokane has been doing a decent job. You've got a great mayor there. You've got some good council members, although it is leaning too heavily to the left. Same at the county level. You've got a sheriff in the area that really cares. But if you've got a jail that is just too small at a time where there's just no appetite politically from the left to build more jails or or provide more jail space, you're only going to be able to do so much. And that's when it becomes on you all, people who are listening right now. And this is an issue not just in Spokane. So it's I'm not just talking to people who live in Spokane. To step up and say, this is what we demand. Here are our expectations of a city. Insert the city, Puyallup. Here are my expectations for Puyallup. When someone is smoking fentanyl on the side of the streets, you are going to arrest. And if there's no jail space, guess what? You're going to come to the table and tell us what you're going to do about it. And if that means building a new jail, great. That's our expectation. That's what you have to do. And if you don't hold politicians' feet to the fire, they're not going to try to placate you. They're going to listen to a small group of ideologues with whom they already identify. That is the truth. And the more we live in this alternative reality where we think that suddenly they're going to do the right thing, the politicians who have not done the right thing up until this point— is just more time that we are at risk of becoming a victim of insert whatever is the big crime in your area. And at at best, you'll suffer a break-in of your car. At worst, an assault or a murder. I don't like those kinds of odds in some areas in Washington State. 
whether we're talking about violent or nonviolent crime. That's why I'm on here. That's why I write. So I wrote my book, What's Killing America. I do all this because I want to highlight the problems and help put some pressure on these politicians. But none of us in the media can do this alone. And none of you can do this alone. It's all working together, which is why creating a group of folks who are like-minded, who will make phone calls, who will show up to meetings, who will spread articles about what's going on is so important. And then finally, there's going to be some traffic this weekend. Oof. Como's reporting that drivers will find a new route on I-405 because it's going to be closed against, again this weekend. They say it'll be the final weekend with any kind of major close. They say all northbound and, so- uh, and southbound lanes of I-405 are going to be closed between Coal Creek Parkway, that's exit 10, out in Bellevue, and then exit 5, the uh, State Route 900, Sunset Boulevard Northeast, exit out in Renton. Both directions tonight at 1135, not 1130. It's oh, Actually, it's probably the, the last time I had to deal with one of these closures that was supposed to happen at, I believe it was 11. It might have even been 10. They start like super early because they have to put the cones out. It, it's absurd, but they do it. So just expect after probably 930 is when this is really going to happen. And it's going to be closed throughout the entire weekend. It's going to go until about 4 a.m. on Monday. Now, they're doing this because they've got some projects widening the lanes and getting some express toll lane work done. That express toll lane, the ETLs, are going to shift to all lanes of I-405 onto a new alignment, they say. The temporary route will be wide enough to accommodate all the current lanes on I-405, but will eventually go further northbound. They expect to complete this project some point within the next 3,000 years. So just expect there's going to be a lot of traffic and you're going to have to figure out a way around it. And really that means for a lot of the folks, you're either going onto surface streets, which sounds awful, right? I mean, let's say you're going from Bellevue to Renton. You're going to drive through Bellevue, Factoria. Eventually, you're going to now you're probably going to take I-5, which means I-5 is going to be an absolute nightmare. But other than that, it looks like a great road weekend. And I'm sure no one will be stuck in any traffic. You're listening to The Jason Rancho. When we come back, you get to choose the next story. Story number one, these are 10 nutrition mistakes that could be taking years off your life. Or story number two, and I stack this because I want you to do story number two. Why planes are extremely gross right now. I read this story. It is disgusting. So I know you're going to want to talk about it. So go ahead. Text me your answer. Which story? 1-800-465-8770. You're listening to The Jason Rant Show. TTH. You pick the topic on The Jason Rant Show. Indeed, you do get to pick the news, and you went with the story I had hoped you would go with. And I only hope, you know, we're not even at 5 o'clock yet, so I'm assuming no one is probably, if you're eating, it's just going to be a light little snack, I hope, because you don't want to ruin your dinner. And unfortunately, if you're eating anything at all, you might get a little sick while I'm talking. So maybe I'll give you two seconds to finish chewing and then swallowing. Okay, now I'm going to get into the story because it's a story about 
well, why planes are extremely gross right now. And they don't really have a, I don't think, a great answer to this. There's some speculation. But what's being experienced on these planes is just absolutely disgusting. And I've told you multiple times of the story when I was on a flight. And again, I love Delta. But I was seated in first class, put my hand down the side of the armrest. And I don't even know why I did that. But I felt something weird on my hand, and I pulled out a ton of hair, human hair, long women's hair. And then I looked at the chair next to me, and it was covered in hair. It was so disgusting and disturbing. That's why I originally clicked on this story from the Washington Post. And they talk about a woman who is named Sarah Nelson, though not Seattle City Council member Sarah Nelson, who will be on the show at 530. She's the president of the Association of Flight Attendants. They say she was buckled up and ready for takeoff from Chicago to Portland, Maine, with her husband, David. The plane was full and hot. Too hot, perhaps, for the passenger sitting next to them. As they taxied down the runway, there was an unsuccessful scramble for a barf bag. Followed by a clasping of the hands over the mouth. And then disaster. The vomit sprayed directly all over my husband, over everything, everywhere, Nelson said. Her misfortune did not make headlines. Neither did the stomach-turning recent experiences shared by over a dozen travelers, such as coming across feces spread on lavatory walls to airplane seats covered with fresh chewing gum and puppy poop. Then there was a traveler stuck sitting next to a passenger in first class who soiled themselves on a flight from Minneapolis to D.C. Oh, my God. And I'm going on a plane to New York and then from D.C. to Seattle. I'm taking a train in between those just in a couple weeks for my book tour. Oh, my God. Then they pointed to a story we did talk about, the Delta flight, in which the whole plane had to make a U-turn because of someone suffering from, quote, Diarrhea all the way through the airplane. (laughs) So why is this happening? They're saying it's actually happening a lot more. And when something like uh, someone vomiting on a plane, when that happens, it can trigger other people into vomiting. They call it sympathy vomiting, which is 100% a real thing. We've all experienced it, I'm sure. Anyone who's ever been to college. And had a friend who was drunk and even as an adult who got drunk and started to puke and all of a sudden you're like, yourself trying to hold it back. It happens. So they say the reason why this is happening a lot more right now is that you've got more people traveling when they're sick. Not COVID sick, but they're saying because of COVID, a lot of people stopped traveling. And now that COVID is over and done with, no matter what some Democrats on MSNBC will tell you. Now that we're over the pandemic stage, you've got people who are taking a little bit more risks and traveling while they're sick. And so since they're desperate to get out of town, they're desperate for some travel, they're getting onto planes in larger numbers and they're just getting sick. On top of that, the Washington Post says it doesn't help that airlines have struggled with cleanliness with labor shortages and pandemic cleaning procedures dropping. United American Southwest and Frontier did not respond to requests for details on their cleaning protocols. 
Allegiant Airlines said in a statement to the Washington Post that aircraft surfaces are cleaned on a daily basis, including seat belts, tray tables, galleys, and lavatories. Just once? I don't know how to read that. On a daily basis, shouldn't they do this after every flight? I never thought that they really did a th- anyone. I'm not talking about Allegiant. I've never flown Allegiant. I always thought that they did a poor job in between. They just sort of did the basics, the equivalent of after using the bathroom, just quickly rinsing your hands, but not using soap. That's how I kind of viewed anything that these airlines have been doing. They do a very quick sweep. Anything that's obviously trash, they pick up, but that's about it. Because I've been seeing a lot more even just trash stuck in the, sometimes in the tray tables, I pulled it down and there's already been a napkin there which is kind of gross, even though I'm assuming they didn't use it. They just used it for their drink, but who knows? But then going into the little pouch in front of you, and sometimes there's trash there. And so clearly they're not doing a good job. And I'm, again, I'm talking across the board, including plane air carriers that I like. I've just not had great experiences. And that's me from a first-class perspective. Not only do I say that, to make Max feel bad because, you know, he still dreams of one day not flying near the toilets in the back of the plane. But because if you're expecting that you're going to get better service and, you know, more cleanliness just because you're in first class. Yeah, believe me, that's just not the case. With the exception of overseas airlines where, you know, you're there for 10 hours, you've got some considerable time between flights, especially when you're spending a whole lot of money for those flights. I I they do have a tendency to be pretty damn clean, at least from my experience. And I've flown overseas. I've flown uh, British Airways and Delta. And they've been really – and I mean overseas meaning domestic to international or international back here uh, to the United States. But other than that, you're just not getting a clean flight. And, uh, you know, I think we talked about this yesterday – I I don't know necessarily what to do because I don't want to become that crazy person who has to mop down everything, like pull out some safety napkins or uh, what are those, those, uh, those like Lysol napkin things, the hand thing, and just like wiping everything down. I don't want to be that person because I judge that person. (laughs) When I see someone like that, I always judge them because let's be honest, especially nowadays, they're always in a mask. They're always looking like they're panicked because they're outdoors for the first time in a long time. Every once in a while, you'll get someone who's got those visors or those like sunglass visor things going on, which don't do anything to protect you from COVID. Uh, I know you feel it's like your little comfort blanket, but let's just be honest. If you're that deathly afraid of COVID and let's say you have a legitimate reason to be, that's not helping. You're going to want to just stay home at that point. But I don't want to become that person. But at the same time, I don't want to get grossness all over me. I already work in radio. I'm surrounded by people who are gross. I'm in a studio that doesn't get washed as much as it probably should, certainly not based upon the amount of usage usage it gets. I can I can still smell Brian suits on this microphone. That's how bad it is. Now when I come in, I clean up, I do a quick wipe down usually. But every once in a while, I forget. I just don't want to go on my vacation or go on a business trip or go on whatever and have to worry now about whether or not the dude next to me is going to soil himself and then realize, oh, no, I've got not just the soiled man next to me, but boo, I forgot to wipe down this tray table and now I've got listeria. Can you get that on a 
I mean, maybe if you're making milkshakes. 1-800-465-8770 for your text messages. You're listening to The Jason Rancho. Show. 